That'd be great. I'd really appreciate it. Um, so anyway, so uh, we are starting a seven-week series now in the book of Galatians. Oh, look, someone's excited about that. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't clap until the end. Um, uh, so we, we are starting a seven-week series in Galatians. And as part of that, what we decided is what we want to do each week is we want to actually read the passage to you. So somebody different from the preacher is going to come up each week to read part of, this, part of the book to us. So that over the course of the seven weeks, we've actually heard the whole of Galatians together on Sunday morning. So it's not just the shorter, shorter part of the passage that we might be looking at through the preaching. And there's a reason for that. And this is why I'm speaking first. Jazz is then going to come and read first, uh, the first chapter before I get back up again. But I just want to say, it's really important that we help you to develop biblical literacy. It's really important. So I, I really cared quite deeply about this, that you grow in your knowledge of the scriptures, not just in like a head knowledge, but knowledge that gets lived out in action. So Peter writes in 2 Peter, he talks about knowledge being a good thing. It's a really good thing, knowledge is. But good knowledge is when we actually, it gets lived out in, in practice in our lives. And the danger, one of the dangers I would say about the society we live in is that information is all, is all kind of snippets. So, I mean, probably like me, you've been on like, lots of news websites looking at all the information about Ukraine, and it kind of comes in little snippets all the time. And if you're on social media, everything's in kind of short snippets, whether that's TikTok videos, whether that's Snapchat, whether that's Instagram, whether that's whatever it is that you use, everything's really shortened. And the problem is, is that we can then take apps like the Bible app, and the Bible app's brilliant. I've said this before, but you do need to be aware of it, is that if it just gives you the verse for the day and you think that that's you reading the Bible then you're, you're, you are basically not eating a full meal. It's like you're, you're having a piece of chewing gum when there's a three-course meal on offer for you. And so we want to help you to grow in your understanding of how uh, verses uh, find their contacts with, context within chapters and how chapters find their context within books so that you can grow in your knowledge of God and so that it impacts your day-to-day -day life as a Christian. Um, so that's why we're doing this. And so I'm going to stop talking now because I'm quite passionate about that. And so Jazz is going to read us uh, through Galatians 1 together. So you might want to turn to it. We're reading from the ESV today. Yeah. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from, this pre from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me, not the, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. 
but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Right. So here we have the first chapter of Galatians. And um, I remember when I was a teacher, uh, I, was a t- I taught art for 15 years. I know I speak about this from time to time. Uh, so, and, and I used to get quite a lot of emails from parents, and they were, ne- they were always negative about the fact that their children would come home covered in paint from my lessons. And so I, I, know, what a, I know what a negative piece of writing looks like. I know, it, I know what it looks like when somebody writes to you and they're a bit cross and they're a bit grumpy and they've got a little bit of needle about what they're writing um, from all those emails that I receive from people when they've got paint covered down their clothes all the time. And here in Galatians, what we find is that Paul is a bit cheesed off. He's a bit cross. He's, in fact, he's beyond cross, actually. Um, you get the kind of the nice introduction to it. So the first part of the, the first few verses we read, it all seems quite nice. And then he starts going, I'm astonished. What, it's, what on earth is going on with you? And you can read into it and you start to see that he's pretty angry. In fact, actually, by the time we get to Galatians 3, he's calling the people that he's writing to foolish. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty, pretty harsh thing to write, isn't it? So what's going on here? Well, look, in order for us to understand the book of Galatians, we do need to go back a little bit and do a bit of a history lesson. So I just want to kind of, I'm going to touch on that today in the hope that it informs not only what I'm going to say in the rest of what my, my talk this morning, but that as we go into other weeks as well, it helps you to have a bit of a framework. So In order for us to understand what is going on in the book of Galatians, we need to rewind to the end of Luke, start of Acts. So Jesus, at the end of Luke, we sung a line this morning, um, clothed with power from on high. Jesus says to the disciples at the end of Luke, wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. And so they stay in Jerusalem. There's about 120 of them. They gather together in a room, um, about equivalent size, you know, to us this morning. They gathered in a room and they... uh, uh, they receive the Holy Spirit. And outside, there's people, and they can hear their own languages being spoken because the, the, the disciples start speaking in the tongues of other nations. Now, just as an aside, that, what's happening there is different from the gift of tongues that you'll hear today most of the time. What you hear the gift of tongues today is, is heavenly languages. So um, if you really want to get technical, that's called glossolalia. What they, what they are engaged in is what's called xenolalia. They speak in the languages of other nations. So they're speaking in the languages of other nations, and there are people there who can hear their own language being spoken and, and the word of God being proclaimed in their own language, and they want to find out what's going on. 
And so Peter, who Jesus has said in Matthew 16 is going to be the rock, which is why he's called Peter, okay, because that's Greek Cephas is Peter, uh, the rock. Peter stands up as, the, as the, 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 almost the spokesperson for the apostles, and he gives the gospel. It's, the, it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture in Acts 2. And he proclaims the gospel to this group of people gathered there. Because what happened at the time is that throughout the Roman Empire, the Jews had gathered to Jerusalem for a festival. So they were all there, hearing their own languages spoken and hearing the gospel proclaimed to them. And on that day, thousands of people came to faith in Christ. And they accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And they accepted the fact that they were sinners in need of God's grace and in need of his salvation. And they are baptized into the name of Jesus. And they received the Holy Spirit, it says in the text. They have acknowledged that they've become the Messiah's people. That's what's taking place in the text of Acts 2. They are becoming people of the Messiah. Acts 3, you get Peter and John. Where are they going? They're going to the temple. So although the, the, the Jewish people, these Jews, have, have received Christ as the Messiah, they continue on with the ritual of Jewish faith. That's what happens in Acts. And so we see all the way then through to Acts 10... It is just Jewish people that are coming to faith in Jesus and claiming that they are the Messiah's people. That's what's taking place. They're still following in, in the ritual of Judaism, but they are claiming a, uh, that they are, God, they are Christ's people. And then we get to Acts 10 and we get Peter. And Peter goes to the house of a man called Cornelius. And he has this waking vision of a sheep being brought down from heaven. And on this sheet, there's all different kinds of animals. And Jewish people, didn't eat, still don't, don't eat certain types of animals because they believe they're unclean. So if you go back and you read the law of Moses in Leviticus, you'll see that certain animals are seen as unclean, which is why Jews don't eat pork or shellfish, which basically means that if I was Jewish, I wouldn't be eating anything because um, we eat so much bacon and sausages in our house that I would be in trouble, okay? So um, anyway, so he has this vision of the sheep being laid down from heaven, and God says to him, don't call, um, clean, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And this vision isn't about anything else other than the issue of the Jews and the Gentiles. God is speaking to Peter, not about food, really, but about the Gentiles and the Jews. And he's saying to Peter that the gospel is not just for Jewish people, it's for Gentiles as well. And then we find that the, all of Cornelius' household um, come to faith in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. We then fast forward a little bit more, and we get to... Uh, th then there's this council that takes place at Jerusalem with the apostles, because they need to kind of work out what to do with these Gentile people that have come to faith in Christ. Do we get them to follow the ritual of Jewish faith? Or, or, or what do we do with them? And so they come to some conclusions. Now, in the midst of all this, probably a few years afterwards, we get the book of Galatians that's written by Paul. And Paul is writing to a group of churches in what is modern-day Turkey. So I would say, I like to think of an earlier date for this letter, around 48 AD is the earliest that people talk about it being written. And I think that's probably a good time. So it's what, 15, 20 years after Christ rises again from the dead and ascends to the Father, we have this book being written. And he's writing to a specific issue within this ch these churches. You see... They've started to have the same questions that we see exhibited at Jerusalem, but it's gone a step further. There are people in the church not only saying, oh, what do we do about these Gentiles coming in? There are people in the church who are starting to teach, if you, if you want Gentiles to, to be part of the Messiah's people, they not only need to follow the law of Moses, the blokes need to be circumcised as well. Okay? So that's what's taking place within the church. And if you read it, they're starting to listen to this teaching. They're starting not only to sort of go, 
I mean, it's, it's okay to hear teaching and then to it, dismiss it. They're not dismissing this teaching. They're actually listening to it. The, the gathered churches in Galatia are listening to this teaching and being led astray by it. Paul is really concerned. But there's something else going on, I think, in this text as well. It's not just that. There's actually, I think, that this group of people who are teaching this, this what is, we find is a distortion of the gospel, Paul writes, they're also accusing Paul of something as well. They're accusing Paul of becoming a compromiser. Um, If we were to um, go back to um, chapter 1 and we read verses 6 to 10 again, which is where I just want to focus my time um, today, um, he he writes this, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there's another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you've received, let him be accursed. Verse 10, this is the key thing. For am I now seeking the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ, writes Paul. So what's he getting at? Well, I think that and, um, and there's, this, there's this thing called mirror reading, okay, that we all do when we read the letters. If you, um, if you, you read commentaries or, or scholarly kind of things, there's a thing called mirror reading. And it's, it was developed by a guy called William Barclay, if you really want to get really technical. And what we do is when we read the letters or we read Paul's kind of writing, a lot of the time what we're trying to do is we're reading into the text to find out why it was written. Okay? So it's, we're mirror, it's mirroring something back to us. I think he's not, just answer, he's not just asking a rhetorical question here. There's been an accusation made against Paul. And the accusation is that he's preaching this gospel that makes it easy for, to, to make it easier for the Gentiles to come to faith. He's kind of saying, well, you don't have to follow the law. You don't have to get circumcised. And the accusation back at him is, Paul, well, you're just making it easy for these people to come to faith. You're making it easy for, for, the, for the, 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 the Gentile believers. We don't want to make it easy for them. It's not fair. And, and it, we have to understand there's another thing that's going on with this as well, is that um, within the Roman Empire, the Jews have got a special dispensation. So all of the Roman Empire had to worship the Roman emperor as God, but the Jews have managed to come to a deal where they didn't have to do it. So they come to this deal where, providing that they prayed to their God, Yahweh, on behalf of the Roman Empire and asked for the blessing of the Roman Empire before God, they could carry on. But what was happening is as these Gentile believers were coming in, it was starting to stress them out a little bit that they might lose this special agreement that they had. If the Gentiles can come to faith and not follow the law of Moses, it starts to affect whether or not they continue to have this special treatment that they have. So there's this big concern taking place within this group of people. They are really, really concerned. And they're levelling something against Paul, which is, you're making it too easy for people. We need to make it harder for people. We need to make it harder for people to be able to uh, become part of the Messiah's people. And Paul says, and what's Paul's argument all the way through Galatians, is to turn the, the, the thing that they've, the accusation that's been made against him back on the people that are making it. And he says, I'm not the one compromising the gospel. I'm not the one who's trying to please people. It's not me, it's you. It's not me who's trying to please people. It's not me who's trying to compromise the gospel. You're compromising the gospel because what you are doing, he writes throughout Galatians, is that you are trying to add to the gospel of Jesus by adding stuff to it. You're not just saying that Jesus is enough. 
You're saying that if you want to come to Christ, you can't just accept Jesus as Lord. What you're saying is you need to follow some rules and regulations and you need to also go through with doing something to your body, if you're a male, in order to be marked out as being one of the Messiah's people. He says that is absolute rubbish. Because it's not the law plus Jesus that we believe in. It's Jesus that we believe in. We don't need anything else other than Jesus, writes Paul. And and, and to to believe anything else is not the true gospel. It's a distortion of the gospel. It's a distortion of the gospel. You see, we're called to be the Messiah people, us today. We're called to believe in him. And and if you heard a, a message spoken to you that says you need to do A, B, and C plus Jesus, you need to ignore it because it's not true. All you need is Jesus. All we need is Jesus. So... There are some huge issues that Paul is speaking to within these uh, churches, and we will find it as we walk through this series together. You will hear these messages come up time and time again. But you might think that this has nothing to do with us today, because let's face it, I've never stood at the front, and we've never had a guest speaker come in who's gone, we've got some knives, and so guys, if you want to head out to the back rooms, we're just going (laughs) to... It's gonna, you're going to have a painful couple of weeks, but that's what we're going to do. And we're not, we're not trying to make you follow certain rules. When we serve meals together, yes, we do eat pork every now and again. So it's not like we're trying to, like, we're, we've not, we're not in the same circumstance. Do you understand me? So how do we then apply this text to today? Because that's what we should do with the Bible. You see, the Bible has a context for the people it was written to in the time it was written. But then what we have to do is we have to take the principles from the text and apply it to our lives today. So what's the principles that we find in Galatians 1 that we should apply to our lives today? Well, I think that we are in danger if we're not careful of compromising the gospel. We're in danger of compromising the gospel in our generation. And I think there's various ways that we can do that. I think, look, I, I mean, I stand before you not as somebody who, who doesn't know what it's like just to have, like, I've worked as a teacher for 15 years. I know what it's like to work with colleagues and, and the awkwardness sometimes that comes when you start talking about your faith. I get it. I've been there. The danger is, is that when we get to those moments, we start to wonder whether we should water down the message of what we believe in order to make it a bit easier. And I think one of the main ways we can do that is through the, 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 our beliefs, the doctrine of sin. So I spoke about sin and forgiveness a couple of weeks ago. We need to be confident in the fact that we're all sinners. We, I know it sounds a daft thing to say, that we need to be confident in preaching sin. We are all sinners. Paul writes in Romans 3 that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of you are perfect. I know some of you try and make out that you are, but you're not. Okay, none of us are perfect. We're not. And we all need Christ's forgiveness. That's the message of the gospel. And if you start taking away the idea of sin and judgment, that actually there's a judgment against our sin for the things that we do wrong, what you start doing is you start distorting the gospel. If you hear a gospel preached that it's God is God is love, and God loves everyone, and he loves you, and sin isn't mentioned, it's a distortion of the real gospel. God is love, writes John in 1 John, but he also writes in the same book, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. See, God is love, but yet God is a just just judge, and he needs to punish wrongdoing, which is why we all need Jesus. And we can't get there by observing... um, the law. The law was never written uh, that, that we might observe all of it today. The law was written to show us our sin that is revealed it, it, as Christ uh, lives a sinless life that we might be forgiven for our sin. That's The law demonstrates our sin and points us to Jesus. 
We need to be uh, confident in preaching uh, the gospel as it is and not watering it down. That's the first thing. Secondly, we could become a little bit like the Jewish people if we're not careful in church. We could start thinking that we're better than other people. There's a real, like, a real danger of that. You, you know, this is what kind of was going on. They were, the, 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 the Gentiles were coming into their meetings and they were, oh, the Gentiles are here. Ooh, they're unclean. We don't like them. We need to, well, they need to, they're going to need to do some things. If they really want to be part of the gang, they're going to have to do some extra things. They're going to have to jump through some more hoops. They, otherwise, they can just kind of be affiliated to us. So we'll call them God-fearers, we won't call them Christians. Because you can't really be a Christian because you're not following the law of Moses. We could behave a little bit like that in our attitudes towards other people. We could go, well, I haven't seen them at a prayer meeting recently. God loves me more. We could never do this. We could do it, though. We could look at what they give in the offering bucket and go, I gave more than them. We could look at what somebody's wearing and go, that is inappropriate for church on a Sunday. How dare they wear that? James writes about this in, in chapter 2 of James, and he talks about when you have people coming among you who are dressed finely, how do you treat them versus when you have people coming among you who are dressed and they look like they're poorer than you are? How do you treat people? It is so important that we don't think that we're better than anybody else, because we're not. We're all sinners. And the gospel is we're all sinners in need of Christ to save us. As, you know, so if you were with us on Tuesday night, one of the things that I thought Henry Cloud said so brilliantly was that the church is a place where there should be no condemnation. We're a place where we need to uh, enable people to, to, to be free from condemnation. They shouldn't come here and find judgment. They should come here and find love and grace and acceptance. They should come here and find joy and freedom. So look, we, we could, as, the Messiah, as, as God's people, as Christians, we could think that we're better than other people. We could start to have that attitude. Well, it's us versus the world, and, and we're better than everybody else. We're not. Actually, we're all broken, and we all need Christ to save us. And lastly, we could use the gospel as a means of control. And I would say this probably more over the way that our churches, uh, 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 over the way churches are led and structured. Look, they were using the gospel, these Jewish people, as a means of control over Gentile people. They were trying to create a gospel where they could control what was going on. And as Paul writes in Galatians 5, if we just turn there quickly, verse 1 of Galatians 5, he says something, doesn't he? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We, the gospel... If the gospel is taught properly and adhered to properly and believed properly by the people of God, we don't see control, we see freedom. So, like, the news is a great example of what's going on with that this week. We see somebody leading through control and manipulation, Putin. He leads through control and manipulation. And then we see somebody who's trying to lead differently, the, the, the Ukrainian uh, President Zelensky. He's leading differently. You see control... The, the, the pattern of leadership through control and the pattern of leadership through wanting to be and walk alongside others. The, you see, the gospel brings freedom, and that should be exhibited in every area of church life. So Paul writes in Galatians 3, and, and Sam will speak on this in a couple of weeks' time, that, those, that famous verse, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there's neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel brings equality. 
The gospel brings freedom to us. That is the whole point in the gospel. Look at what Jesus does throughout Luke in terms of liberating the oppressed people that he engages. There are people within the culture who have been marginalised and sidelined and he brings them up and he elevates them and he, he, he reinstitutes them within their cultural setting and he enables them to be seen again and heard again. Church should be a place where people are considered to be equal to one another. We are the people of God. And the danger is, is that um, the gospel can be used for control. And, and I'd just like to say on this, really, that we, 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 we don't lead like that here. You, maybe you've been in a church where the church pastor saw themselves as the, as, as the, the head honcho and you do what they say. I've seen churches fall apart through stuff like that where the, the, the church leader is leading through control and using the gospel or their perceived knowledge of the gospel to control other people. That is not godly leadership. So how do we lead as a church? We lead in the way that we believe that we're right at the bottom of the pile. As elders, Danny, myself, Richard, and those that are on the pastoral, pastoral staff on team, and leaders in the core team, we are, our belief is not that it's a hierarchy with me at the top, somewhere at the top, sitting on some sort of golden throne. <laughs> you laugh, but this is how some churches behave about leadership. We are at the bottom. Because Christ taught that true leadership looks like servanthood. And that if, you, if I'm going to teach you what it means to be a leader, if I'm going to teach you what it means to follow Jesus, I need to serve you. Richard needs to serve you. Danny needs to serve you. Those who are on staff need to serve you. We are not here to lord it over you. We're here to equip you, to release you, to serve you. Our leadership doesn't look like control and manipulation. It looks like freeing you to be the people that God's called you to be. And it's really important that you hear that because maybe you've been in a church setting where that's not the case. And I want you to hear that's not how we operate here because we believe in the true gospel. <laughs> And the gospel brings freedom. Let me just uh, finish with this. Um, it's, been a, it's been kind of uh, uh, attributed to Spurgeon. I'm not really sure whether he said it or not, but it's a great quote, so we'll say it anyway. Spurgeon said, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend the lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. So what's our response to all of this? And what, what are we hoping is the encouragement for you this term? Look, I hope that as we go through this series, you'll get more and more confident about allowing the gospel loose in your life. That you start to inhabit and live in the goodness of the gospel that brings freedom and liberation. That you don't have to do and prove anything other than just follow Jesus. You don't need anything other than Jesus. And that you're confident in letting the gospel loose in your life as you go out into the world around you. That as you engage with your neighbours or your friends or your family or your work colleagues, you just allow the gospel to not only live through you, but come out of your mouth as you speak the words of, of Christ to people, as you encourage them, as you say, I've got Jesus, he's my saviour. I'm a sinner, but Jesus saved me. You know, that's the gospel. And we need to be confident of the gospel in our generation that as we speak it, the scandal of the gospel will bring people to Christ because it does. And the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, doesn't he? And he brings people to Jesus. So my hope is that we as a church this term become confident in letting the gospel loose in our lives. Now, there's one way we can do that and we're going to finish this way today is we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Because the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus, 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 leads us to Jesus and empowers us for, for witness. The Holy Spirit leads us to, to, to empowerment, to be God's people and witness the true gospel. The gospel that brings liberation. The gospel that brings freedom. 
Not the gospel that brings oppression and control. And so what I want to do today is I just want to pray. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, that as we go out into the week this week, that we feel free and emboldened to preach the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus, we, we believe in your gospel. We believe, Lord, that we um, have sinned and fallen short of your glory. But Jesus, because of what you've done for us, you've fulfilled the law, every letter of it, and we can walk free before you today. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the gospel is, is that we are free to know you, to be called your people, to accept you as our saviour and our king. We know that the gospel is, is that we can know you forevermore. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can know the truth of it and live out of the truth of it. And I pray, Lord Jesus, this week that you would come and, and use us to proclaim your gospel. And Holy Spirit, we ask you right now that you would come and fill us for that purpose. That we would be emboldened and encouraged this week. That we would find opportunity. That we would find opportunities. I pray even in the midst of all that's going on in the world at the moment, that we, as your people, Lord God, would find opportunities to demonstrate the gospel to people. To show people what, what, what true freedom looks like. To show people what true, uh, true liberation looks like. That we've been liberated from sin and death and shame. That we don't live under condemnation, but we've been called into relationship with you. So Holy Spirit, we pray this week, come and fill us with your power and send us out that we might be a, a light and light to all, all that, that is around us in Ashford and beyond, I pray. Amen. 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 Well, that's it.